Constellation. 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 Welcome to Inner Bloom, a podcast about spirituality and intuitive empowerment where we help each other evolve and ascend through conscious community. I'm Alexa, a healer who utilizes EFT, also known as tapping, to help you process stuck emotions, release limiting beliefs, and reconnect with your inner child. I'm Ambrosia, a psychic medium and Arcturian channel, here to uplift and inspire you to see that you are capable of more than you know. Together, we empower people to live extraordinary lives. We do want to warn you, if you hang out with us long enough, you'll start to believe in yourself and realize that you're capable of anything. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back once again to Inner Bloom Podcast. I am Alexa. I am Ambrosia. Hi, everybody. And we are so excited. Today is a good day because we have Ambie's two favorite people are here, me and her other favorite person, Catherine Ann, psychic medium and true crime obsessed podcast host. Hi, Catherine. Hi. I'm so happy to be back on here. I love you both so much. We love you too. We <laughs> miss you. When's the last time you were on here? It was a while ago. Because you, you had a different yeah. podcast back then. I did. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Probably close to a year. Yeah. So, so much has happened and changed in your life, it seems like. So catch us up. Tell us about, you know, your new podcast and what's been happening with you since then. Okay. So I am currently hosting a podcast called Murder and Mediumship. And I was kind of burning out on the uh, help everybody live their best life train, right? Like it was kind of, we all do that as healers in in the um, energy world. You kind of have to take a step back and take a break. And it was probably Ambi because I feel like I don't really talk to anyone else that much. We were talking about, we were talking about how to make it fun again, how to make it what I really love doing. And I thought, you know, I use um, other crime podcasts to kind of test my intuition, especially if I know the case has been solved, I'll try to tap in and see like, what can I tell about it? And there's, there were a few that I would listen to. I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. I know it has to do with like, this person was her teacher. Like he had to be a teacher. And like, at the very end, it's revealed, oh, he was actually like her uh, horse riding instructor. I'm like, teacher, yes, I got (laughs) it. So I would get really excited over that. And I thought, you know, why don't I just host a true crime podcast instead, and I'll add mediumship to it. And I started poking around and I saw that a lot of them on Spotify and iTunes only last like 30 episodes or so. And I assume that's because someone's not protecting their energy in the way that they should if they're very aware of their energy. So for someone like the three of us to host something around that kind of trauma all the time, you have to have the proper... um, energetic boundaries and, and all of that. So I made it a point to be like, if I'm going to do this, I have to really take care of my own energy in doing this. And when I don't, I know someone's going to spiritually slap me and help me get back on track with that. But um, the whole podcast started as feeling into cases that were either um, solved, but people disagreed with how they were solved. Like I felt into the Lacey Peterson case and did Scott Peterson really do it? And and that was a, an interesting, I don't want to say fun, but that was that was a fun one to do, honestly. Um, Am I spoiling it? Do I have to listen to your podcast? I don't know. Listen to it, but I don't think he did. I think it, he looks like the perfect apple for it. I don't think he did it. No. 
I'm going to have to listen to that one because I, I don't remember think... that case. Well, who did it yeah. then? Well, then you'll have to listen to the show. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. She's got her hooks okay. in us. I yes, know, we right? We got to get to the end now. Um, now you have to listen supply. though because it was a really cool um, – it was a really cool episode to do. And I will say, too, that I have a couple of friends that I will reach out to and say, if you're comfortable feeling into this, let me know what you get. And I like to cross check it. Yeah, she's one of them. This is this is the one who told me to stay away from missing person stuff in the beginning of working on I, psychic I stuff. I did. Because it's well, so that's heavy. because like when you're new, it's really yeah. heavy and missing people tend to like bombard you with information. So like when so, you're new into this, yes, but you're an old hack now. Keep going. I am absolutely an old witchy hack now. So um, not, I, not hag, hack. Um, like oh, you're hack, used to thank this. You. Go ahead. I was taking hag, like hook. I was there for it. So thank you so much. Um, so the podcast started to take, it was doing really well, like pretty quickly. I was proud of the listenership it had and of like really like what I was doing with it. And then I researched one or two cases that had to do with missing people of color or murdered people of color. And I was blown away by the amount of resources that there were not available because mm. of the, like just the switch to them being a person of color. And one of the cases that was the first I think I did on a person of color was a little girl named Relisha Rudd. And this case, I just got chills thinking about it now, it shook me to my absolute core. It was a case about human trafficking in the DC area. And I was just, it, it was a hard one. I definitely held on to that very deeply for way too long, couldn't release it. And I felt terrible about the whole thing, but it was such a real experience being there with her through the whole thing. But I had to kind of reconvene how I was doing it because it wasn't a restructure. It, it wasn't healthy to feel that much of it. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, and I will say too, I've seen other people who do this sort of thing, say that they'll only connect as a psychic and that doing it as a medium is like unwise because you're literally inviting their energy like with you to talk to you about it. I feel like, why would you do it any other way? I, I love doing it this way, but I also like a challenge. So I'll take it. <laughs> um, after that though, this little girl went missing from a DC area homeless shelter. She was basically trafficked and they never found her body. I don't believe that she was killed there in DC, but the resources were just, um, there was nothing and no one really looked because she was a homeless child of color in Washington, DC, like nobody cared. So that started it for me. That was really difficult. And from there, I don't exactly remember what the push was to only focus on those cases. But then when the case with Gabby Petito exploded and I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is what I'm already talking about. And it's so frustrating to see that this is what hit me. I am a mom of three little boys. They're all blonde hair, blue eyed. If my children went missing, it would that for media coverage. It would be so quick for me to get their cute little faces all over the media because they are white kids with blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah. And that was sick to me that I know I, it was seeing white privilege in a different light. I mean, yeah. that is white privilege, right? When you're seeing your child will be looked for as if they are more important than any other child, just because they're pale skin. And it just broke my heart. So that's what started to drive it. That's what really drove it. And then with Gabby Petito, looking into um, stuff kept coming up around missing and murdered indigenous women. And I just kept following the dots. So mm -hmm. after I said, well, I'm only featuring BIPOC cases, I would 
lay down in my bed and I would ask my guides just very simply. It's not some big ritual with me. I lay down and I say, who am I supposed to look for? And then I'll get the name and then I'll hop on Google and I'll Google so-and-so's name missing or so-and-so's name murdered. And then boom, would pop up their face like every time. So then I take that picture and I just focus on that for a while and get as much as I can. I should have brought my notebook in here. I can get as much as I can off of that picture about the case. And then I research it and then I weave it all together. And I think the really cool thing about it is that it's it's giving people a chance to understand mediumship in a way that it can be helpful to law enforcement. Not as we're sitting in here like, oh, we're psychic detectives solving crimes. It's like, like a team of detectives all work together to solve a murder, right? It's not just one person. And it's the same thing. Like this could be valuable in a team setting like that because we're getting pieces of the puzzle or we're finding ways to get you to the pieces of the puzzle that you're missing. It's not saying you have all the answers, which is huge. And I talk about that a lot on the show. Like this, I'm not connecting to as a medium. This is what I feel about it. But this is the real of it. This is removing the Hollywood from it. This is removing what you perceive it to be and what it's really like. Like our experiences where we have someone just casually walk into our living room that isn't really living are few and far between, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's that's not what people perceive it as. So it's it's a lot of just normalizing it as well, making it a more valuable tool. Can I ask you a question? I, yeah. Um so do you want, because you spoke about, you know, helping law enforcement, and that's what I wanted to ask you since you started talking, like, would you like to, would you like the information that comes from your podcast to actually be, like, would you like to work in tandem with law enforcement? Have you already done that? Like, is that something that's important to you or? I have not done that. And that is what I said in the beginning, that that is my goal. However, at this time in my life, with my kids being so small, um, with my kids being so small, I find it more important for my desires to be here with them. I wouldn't want to be like traveling and out in the field and connecting that kind of stuff because I want to be here for that stuff. But as they get older, you know, when they're teenagers and you don't want to deal with them as much anymore and that kind of thing, I feel like it'll be, it'll be different and I'll be able to do that as well. Plus like with having a military spouse, he leaves a lot right now. It'll be easier for me to do that when he's not doing that. So I would like to eventually do that. I am not even sure about how to, interject myself in that way I feel that will present itself when the time is right for it yeah but for now if I'm putting something out there on the show I will never and I have done this already like with the release of red case if there was something to share with law enforcement I would I wouldn't just put it on the show or I if there's stuff that I'm getting it's very clear what's not meant to be shared there's a couple of cases I've put out where I've had to really sit with it and think like okay this is information for the public. This is information for me mm-hmm. because some of it, it's just, you can't, right? You can't put that out there. Look at, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Delphi girls who went missing in Indiana and they were found at the bottom of a bridge. And this case is huge in the true crime community. They were teenage girls. They had a day off. It was a really nice day in February, like unusually nice. And they were down in this park and they were walking across this bridge that was condemned, but all the teenagers would cross it and everything. You get over there while well, someone, they caught the guy on Snapchat. But what they've shown the public is this very short video of this man approaching them. And then you hear him say there's an audio clip of him saying down the hill. And they were found at the bottom of the hill, but nothing is known about the condition they were found in. 
nothing is known about the person other than what they've shown us. And if I were to like speak more to that, if law enforcement doesn't feel it's appropriate to put that out there, why is it my business to either? Do you know what I'm saying? So maybe I see it, but it's not for everybody else. So, Mm. um, and you don't want to jeopardize the case. Right. Exactly. And, and it's also the fact that people's family members might hear this. You never know, especially when your child or your significant other or your whoever is missing that's important to you, you are probably searching like every day online for new information about them, right? And I actually had the brother of one of the um, victims that I covered reach out and say, thank you for sharing her story because her story hasn't really been shared. And ask. Yeah, that's it's it's happened a couple of times now. That was the most profound one, I feel like, though, because, again, it was a missing person of color who was just seen as a runaway because she was 15 and they didn't pay any attention to it. But it absolutely was not the case at all. And you can see that not being intuitive, even the slightest bit. You read the case facts and it's very clear that someone who had been living nearby took her. But you read this and you know their history and you read what this family had been through to receive that from him was like one of the highest compliments ever because you see that that is the change that you're making. It doesn't matter how many people you reach that person heard something they needed to hear. So it has happened. And that is why I don't share all of like the gory details because you never know who's listening. I wouldn't want to hear that about my child. So it's done with a lot of respect as well, which I'm really proud of. And I think you should be really proud of it because I know a lot of the times like, um, Catherine and I talk every day. And one of the questions that you ask is like, should I share this information? Or like, is this respectful? Like that's always in the forefront of your mind is, am I being respectful to the family? Um, am I doing the right thing by the family? And I just think that that really illuminates like, um, your passion and, how honorable you are as an individual, as a human being. So, well, thank you. You're welcome. I also really like the idea of, I know with a lot of true crime stuff, TV shows, podcasts, things like that, they do go into the gory details, right? Mm -hmm. Like they go into like, hey, his head was dropped off and like all of that stuff, right? And I love the aspect that you not only do like the facts of the case, but you also do, this is what I intuitively feel. I think it's such a beautiful combination with being respectful and also not sharing like as much of the gore, but really going over, like just really raising awareness for missing people of color. Because I think that that is just something um, so incredible and I do brag about you to every single person. Like, you should listen to this podcast, blah, blah, blah. I should probably do that to our podcast. Sorry, Alexa. But I think it's like such an interesting perspective and such an interesting um, play on, not play, but an interesting area that you've overseen with your talent and your skill set. You know what I mean? Like, you're truly using your gifts for good. And I love that you said, Catherine, earlier, you said this offline before we started recording, but you mentioned that you really want to take this podcast in the direction of education as well. And, you know, I think that you're alluding to that with saying, like, you want to raise awareness. But can you maybe expound upon that a little bit more? Yeah. Okay. So one of the first cases I was trying to do to draw attention to the podcast to get more listeners, a more famous or notorious case, like once a month. And I found that I mean, if you did like a celebrity or something like that, it would draw attention to it. And then 
I thought I had someone recommend, I had a couple people recommend um, Emmett Till's murder and then Nike, who's been on here how many times, asked the same, like, would you be willing to look into that? And I said, you know what, you're asking, done, I'm doing it. It'll be the next case because I have to. And if you don't know the story of Emmett Till and you are an American, go look it up in more detail. You owe it to this country to do so. You owe it to yourself, not this country. You owe it to the truth of the history of this country, not necessarily the history that we've been taught as whitewashed history. So, Mm -hmm. um, and slow me down if I start too far on the soapbox because I get so enraged over some of this. Um, So Emmett Till was 15 years old. He was 14 or 15. Now I'm second guessing myself. And he was living in Chicago with his mom. And what a lot of people don't know about this country's history is that there were two migrations that occurred from the South to the North. And maybe we were taught this. I would like to say I was a nerd. Like I loved school. I paid so much attention in school and I did really well in high school. I, like every subject except for like chemistry, fuck that. But um, <laughs> anyway, I was really into learning about everything. Like that is like Elf in that movie. And when he's like, Santa, that's me. Like learning, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I don't remember learning this and maybe we did again, maybe we did and I just wasn't paying attention. But there were two great migrations and it's when millions of people of color were moving from the south to the north and what time the second wait it started in the early 1900s okay. and it lasted through i believe it was the 1970s but the second migration went from the 40s through the 70s and this is when you saw the largest wave of it and this was because a lot of people were needed to work in the factories in the north during the world wars okay Okay. Mm -hmm. so because at first people of color weren't allowed to fight in the war right they weren't so they were putting like all these people were moving up they were getting like housing allowances they were getting all of these extra things that they wouldn't have been given otherwise so they were taking these opportunities and that's kind of how these big urban areas that's one of the ways i won't say like i know everything that's one of the ways that the urban areas started to gain population so and i know i talk about it in one of my episodes but the percentages went from like how many people of color were living in rural areas to like mm-hmm. 80% of them in urban communities. It was during this time that that happened. And Emmett's mother was born in the South in Mississippi. And she was then brought up to the North in Chicago. And when she was um, brought up there, she was only like two or three years old or whatever. And Her dad was working in a factory. She meets a man who's working in a factory. They get married. Um, they have Emmett. They get divorced because this is the thing. Emmett Till's mother, I can't remember her name right now because I'm on the spot, but she is like, she is a badass. This woman basically got her husband sent off to war for beating her. So oh, I remember you telling her. me about yeah. that. He That's abused badass. her. And yeah. I have, I actually, my great grandmother signed her husband up for the draft because he was an abusive alcoholic. She was like, see you later. And Dang. laughed. And I just don't love fuck that. With women. So yeah. Much. Yeah. Don't fuck no. with women. Yeah. Not, and yeah, absolutely not. We'll so send you off to die. Exactly. My father went off to World War II and he was actually hanged there for um, a crime that he committed, supposedly. I mean, we don't really know, but I think he, I think he did. Um, he was hung for committing a crime against a woman in Italy and he was hung with another soldier. So he was like tried, convicted, hung. That was the way that they like the death penalty over there in that time, I guess, whatever. So anyway, Emmett goes down to visit his family. And when he goes back down to the South to visit his family, 
he was told by his mom over and over, like, I don't really want you going. I want you to come with me. She was going to go visit family somewhere else in the north. And he insisted, I want to see my cousins. I want to go down there. He had an uncle down there. It was his great uncle. And he was at a like a candy shop, like a general store kind of thing. And he was accused of whistling at a white woman. Her name was Carolyn. And when he whistled at her, he supposedly like physically tried to touch her, put his hands on her, all of this stuff. So she went out to her car and she showed them they had a gun and they all ran back to his uncle's house. Well, her husband was out of town at the time. He was like driving truck or something for his brother. And he gets back, hears about what happened and they go and they find him and they beat him. And I will spare details on this episode on this just because like, if you want to hear it, go to that, but they beat him horribly and they tossed him in a river and he was beaten so badly that his mother couldn't identify who he was. She knew who he was, but they tried to bury him like immediately. They didn't want to have any attention over this at all. His mom insisted that they send his body back up to Chicago. And there's a photo of this that you can see as well online where she identifies the body. And she then has photos of his body in that state published so that people see what's happening. This woman was like, not my baby. Yeah. No, they put him on trial. They put the two men because it was uh, this Carolyn's husband and his uh, half brother. They put them both on trial and they were um, they were like, oh, they were found innocent of murdering this kid when everyone knows that they did it. There were witnesses. But it was one of the first times that a black man testified in court against a white person and was asked to point them out. So he physically stood up in the courtroom and pointed at the person who killed his um, nephew and it was it was insane when it happened there weren't supposed to be cameras in there or anything and someone actually snapped a picture of it so you can find that historical moment too but they all moved to the north right after because he they were in danger at that point yeah. so there were like they had bodyguards this was serious like people were dying because of this case but it sparked it was like the catalyst for the civil rights movement as we know it. And in finding all of this out while I'm reading about this, I'm thinking like, God, I am a well-educated person and I take a lot of pride in knowing a pretty good amount of history about this country. And I feel like I didn't know most of this. Like yeah. maybe we had a paragraph in school about it, but this is huge. Yeah. And I was so upset by it. So I started to just research more and more and more. And while I was doing his case, I thought like, this is the part that needs to be told. This is the part like this is gruesome enough without adding any blood and guts because mm -hmm. you have we like our grandparents would have been there. Yeah. They're in that that age. It's not that long people, ago. Right. People, people think of this as like really not a really long time ago. And it's just not. Didn't it's just it, not. Go didn't ahead. it also turn out that she admitted she literally recently that it, yep. she was lying? Six decades later, yeah. she said she lied. And do you know what her punishment was? What? Nothing. I should have guessed that. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> nothing that. happened to her. It's nothing. And that was that was a wild case because from from a metaphysical perspective, from like doing what we do is connecting to those who have crossed over. That night, I will never forget. My husband was on an overnight on the ship, so I was home with the kids. And I, when I record, I like to take a shower after, like cleanse the energy, right? right. And I got in the shower, and I must have forgotten to disconnect or something. I don't know. I. I'm kind of like, ooh, all the time anyway. So I get in the shower and I felt this energy. It was like a wall of energy. This is one of the few times something was that real to me, like came rushing at me in the shower. And I still had, I feel like it was something that only a mother can do where I just went like, no, 
(laughs) (laughs) That's not happening. Like you're not bothering me in the shower. This is my place. (laughs) So I told it no. And then after I realized I was like, holy shit, that was a person like that was a white guy from like the opposing side, like not liking them, not liking what I was doing. And it was so crazy. It was so crazy. So the education now has transformed. I have gone into cases where it's missing people who are of like Mexican descent in like Arizona, Texas, places like that, where they're not seen as equal. It has come to, um, I've been the whole month of November and then this next episode that I'll be releasing on Monday, they're all missing persons of like, um, of indigenous cultures. So there's most of them have been women. I did one on a male, um, and that's become the next like focus of education. So I'm trying to pepper it all in because you think like, I hope I don't, I'm not trying to speak for everybody, but you hear like people of color and you don't automatically think like, oh, everybody not white, but yeah. holy crap, this country from the media, if you look at it, it looks like only white people live here. Yeah. It's insane. It's so sad. So when Gabby Petito went missing, they had, I actually, one of the articles I was reading in my research, they were talking about how these Native American women were sharing that all these police were out there, all of these rescuers were looking for her. And one of the cameramen said to her, they're looking for a girl out there. She's missing. She's like 22. They were sharing about Gabby and he said, she's the only one out there. And that woman, that Native American woman said, she's the only white person who's missing here. They've had over 700 people go missing over the last couple of years. And it's like, no one cares. And, like, the fervor that people had about her case was, like, like I saw people being like, we will find her no matter, I will not sleep. And I'm just like, what about, like, I, yeah, I don't, don't I feel like lately sense. in the media, and this is, this is, like, a slight tangent, but it's just about portrayal in the media of, like, white children. I feel like Gabby Petito, now Gabby Petito was, like, an innocent person, right? But then you have Kyle Rittenhouse, right? This, like, oh, white God. baby yeah. face. Um, and then the, the, the most recent, um, the the kid who just did the school shooting, the terrible school shooting, they released his, um, a picture of him before he got booked. And it was literally a picture of him like this as like a eight year old or a 10 year old. And you're like, that's not, that is an eight year old. And you're making him look like an angel. Why? Like, this yeah. is so weird. So I just feel like, you know, Catherine, what you're doing is, you're bringing visibility to the faces of the missing, obviously, but the faces of the ignored, the faces of the silenced. And it's so important. It's so important because I feel like more than ever, as I look at the media, I'm like, that's all I can see is like these angel little baby white faces. And it's not the reality, you know? I think the the thing that our society in the media in particular tends to do and we're three white women talking about this so but i do think that our society tends to dehumanize people of color and Mm -hmm. say uh, subtly well it's okay because it's air quote them right instead of looking at people of color as human beings and saying how would i feel if my child went missing and no one was looking for my child Right. How would I feel if I had to teach my child how to properly interact with the police, how to properly interact with doctors, how to say goodbye to them when they leave the house because they might not come back? 
Like these are things that white people don't think about. And then we want to say that there's no white privilege. There's absolutely a white privilege. I don't have to worry about my kids getting pulled over by the police. Like that, that is something that, that really has hit me. And there's so much history in our, in our country that we don't talk about that I know, and I've said this on the podcast before, but I know growing up for me, it was, you don't want to talk about race. You don't want to talk about color. You don't want to talk about any kind of differences. We want to just pretend that we're all colorblind, that we're all the same, that we're all equal. And that's bullshit because we're not the same. We're not equal. There is a problem. We need to talk about it. And just like what you're doing with your podcast, how you're talking about missing people of color, or murdered people of color, it's it's a huge problem. Like that's that's someone's loved one. And the fact that we can just dehumanize other human beings because of the color of their skin is disgusting to me personally. So can I say to uh, Alexa, do you want to say something? I'm sorry. No, 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 don't be sorry. I was just also going to say, and like, what does that say to people of when when the media give so much credit to, um, sorry, or give so much airtime or, you know, prioritizes white faces or white people Mm -hmm. in that way and doesn't say anything about any person of color. Like if you're a person of color growing up in this country, what does that say to you? Like, no, you don't matter. That's exactly. exactly And that you're not safe and that you're not cared for. And yeah, go ahead, Catherine. So that that like systematic racism, that systematic oppression that's happening there and that just like quickly back to the idea of white privilege. I think that a lot of people ignorantly misconstrue that to just finances. I I think Mm. that that's what people often hear when you say privilege. But to build on that, it's also when you look at stuff, this is what I learned in the Emmett Till case as well. When you look at the laws that were written against people of color in the South in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they could be arrested for, quote, loitering. But how are you going to prove that? You're just like, oh, I don't like that black guy. And you arrest them. And then they're in jail. And that is when, for the first time, we started to see the prison system flip and more people of color being incarcerated because the laws were written to incarcerate them. And that's just history. That's not like you can't even argue that that is literally documented there for you, statistically available for anybody. And as I started to learn that, I it started to weave in with learning about the missing and murdered indigenous people. So think about this. You have someone who goes missing. We all have cell phones, right? Like we live in suburban and urban areas. If you're up there in Blackfeet Nation in Montana, you don't have cell service in National Glacier Park or next to it. You don't have cell service when you're between the states and Canada and in the mountains and in these deep valleys and in the woods. You don't have it. So if someone's like traversing that area and you just think like they'll call me when they get to a landline and they, they don't call, too much time has already passed. Too much yeah. time has already passed, number one. Number two, you're then saying what has happened out there right now is that and I speak specifically toward like this, I feel like most of the cases I've done right now happen to be people from Blackfeet Nation. And that is the combination of four different tribes. Um, and I'm, I'm learning so much. So if I say something wrong or someone wants to correct me, please do, because this is what I have learned so far. And I don't want to spread misinformation. But right now they have like 
two FBI headquarters that are up there to help this area that covers 1.5 million acres. And they're not even like this. These headquarters aren't like right there on the res there. And I'm so sorry where I grew up, there is a reservation right nearby and everyone called it the res. And I don't even know if that's like culturally appropriate now that I say it out loud, but that's where like everybody went. So um, they're expected to travel to these places to file reports. They don't have cars. They live in poverty. They don't have gas money. They don't have that luxury. There's no fucking bus system. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. So for them to get all the way down there and then say, hey, my teenage sister, she hasn't come home in three days. And then BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs, which I don't even know if that's politically correct to call it that, but that's what it's called. They are now my dog's coming in because I'm getting upset. Um, (laughs) They are like they're sitting there saying, well, she's probably out partying. She'll be back or or something like that. And again, this comes back to the minute you label someone a runaway, they are less important. And that is what people of color, when their children go missing, they're runaways. You are 15, 16, 17. You're still legally a child. I don't care if they ran away. Go get their ass. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the point. That's really it's really very, very sad because like you said, they, they're living in poverty, poverty, but white privilege has put them there. Yes. It created, you know and I mean? that was and my point with like the police, yeah, like the police thing like that. It created that. System. Exactly. And that's we what created people, I feel like don't understand. And I want to be really clear that the three of us are not sitting up here and saying like, poor us in any way, shape or form. Mm-mm. We are absolutely trying to raise awareness for for people of color but i will i will also say that having a 17 year old child i could see how people think he's an adult and it's terrifying we went somewhere where they were serving alcohol they handed him alcohol and did not id him because he's six feet tall he's he's like buffer and he has a full, like full facial hair. He's 17. He's a child. So that was the thing with Emmett Till too. He was very large for his age. Yeah. So it's terrifying to think that mentally they don't have the awareness of not being an idiot, right? Like doing teenager things that normal teenagers would do, but that typical white people see them and either get scared or say that's a, that's a full grown man. No, it's not. They don't have the mental capacity that we have as thirty year old women. I don't know if Catherine's thirty, but it's fine. But thank you. Saying, I am. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, it's it's a different mindset. Like I think of how stupid I was as a teenager and shit that I did, right? And I'm a small person, so I'm not held to the same standard. And then you add on that they're a person of color and the media automatically portrays them as someone up to no good and all of this and all of that. And so you have everything going against, especially boys of color, especially boys Mm -hmm. of color. And that's even with like going back to the missing indigenous people, one of the mothers of, um, I'm so sorry, the aunt of his name is Matthew Grant. He went missing and like, nobody's looking. Well, he, they found him deceased, but nobody was looking because he's not a woman. So now you've yep. even like further caused that divide. And it, it's just, it's so painful to see that. But I want to say that, let me see if I can get this thought back. Um, when you're looking at people who are going missing and they're labeled runaways, statistically, 
they are less likely to be looked for. So now it's, I believe it's state by state, but the laws are shifting so that you cannot label a child as a runaway. Even if they did run away, you have to call them missing because otherwise they're not looked for in the same way. But you like, um, the case I'm working on now, her name is Monica still smoking and she went missing at eight years old. The FBI was involved for three weeks and kicked feet, kicked rocks, gone. Couldn't help anything about it. You go to these these resources too, and this is part of the problem. This I just remember what I was going to say, so I'm just going to like pop in, pop out. But what um what I was saying is that I realized too that for me too, there are a lot of podcasts that feature only cases of people of color, and that's wonderful. The thing I think that makes it um, reachable to like white people to educate us on what it is that we're kind of really fucking up still. It's that it's coming from a white person. So they're almost like, I feel like I'm trapping them into hearing it. Like, yeah, I will educate you. Like you think you're here for just true crime, but you're going to learn something because this is important. And this is how we break cycles. And knowing that I have that audience makes it feel to me like it's an opportunity that would be wasted if I didn't try to like shove the education in there as well. So I'm finding the line between what people are willing to learn and listen to still. So I'm trying to like sprinkle it in. But um, with the missing Native people out in the West, it's it's really it comes down to too that there are jurisdictional issues. And this is stuff that these laws have been in the books for decades and decades and decades. So they don't know if they go to tribal police because tribal police are saying this is too heavy of a crime for us to handle. You have to take it to the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department is like, we don't have jurisdiction here. You have to take it to the FBI. And the FBI is like, this isn't a serious case. You got to take it back here. So yeah. you get pinged around all of these places. And then you go to research like anyone or post someone to a missing persons database. Like we have NamUs for missing children. They're not reporting them to the same database or they're not reported correctly to the same database so the information is wrong because they're reported as like missing Asians or Hispanics or or whatever, even white people, rather than being documented as Canadian. They are as um a Native, Native American. American in Canada was the next sentence coming out of my mouth. They had estimated the royal um they're a little bit ahead of like fixing this count right now. And I'm assuming that's because of what's been going on with the boarding schools. But um they just estimated it was like uh, 1181 missing and murdered Native Americans that should be accounted for that were not in a federal database. Well, the woman who her last name is Luchesi, I can't remember her first name, but she um, I reference her a lot in my podcast. Uh, she's a doctoral student who created a database for missing and murdered Native Americans in Canada and the U.S. And just to add to that 1100 that was found by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. What they have found, she has like four to 500 more names that they missed. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you have to imagine that's not like another 30 names. That is a huge amount. That, that's like a a quarter of what they're talking about being missing, a quarter more, you know? That's crazy. It makes me so nervous when I hear, or nervous isn't the right word, but like hearing how many people are missing especially like how many people of color how many indigenous people are missing it's like where are they all going like i understand that some are found deceased right and some are but it's like you know we talk about systemic racism we talk about the systems that are in place and you know like who might be benefiting from these systems and it's like 
it really takes my mind to a dark place, to be quite honest with you, because it makes... It's scary. Yeah, because it makes so, me think, who is benefiting from... Somebody is benefiting from this. Oh, I yeah. I will tell you who I think is benefiting from it, if you want to know. I sure. believe wholeheartedly... You look at these towns, you look at like specifically Browning, Montana, just because it's the most recent one I was researching. That's part of Blackfeet Nation. They are 40% poverty. I think it was Ambie I was telling about this yesterday. There are literal housing complexes there with windows boarded up with meth units spray painted yeah. on them because that is how pervasive the drug problem is. So then you're having people come in, majority white people coming in who are dealing drugs and setting up shop on the reservations. And then they're creating this addiction so that they're fueling their profit, right? And if you can't pay, what do you do? You prostitute yourself, right? So what do you do if you're unwilling to? You're kidnapped. You're trafficked. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're trafficking them. Yeah, it's Native profit. American women are worth more. So they're being trafficked. And the unfortunate thing is that they're in a state of most of them, that not most of them, I don't want to say it like that, but you'll see a large majority of these women who are turning up missing, you'll start reading, you'll be like, oh, they had a drug problem. Oh, they had a drug problem. Oh, they had a drug problem. Does that make their life matter less? Nope. But does it make them more vulnerable to take? Yes, it does. Yeah. So that's how a lot of it is happening. And then you see these teenage girls who you're literally in the middle of nowhere, just conk on the head and boom, you're gone. It's that simple. So a lot of these cases too, it comes down to what will I even be able to find enough information to share about yeah. because there's no information. It takes me, if I wanted to put out an episode about, um, say, Lacey Peterson, if I really sat down for like a couple of hours, I could put together enough enough information pretty quickly to do an episode on her. Yeah. But if you want to do one about um, Ashley Heavy Runner, who went missing from Montana, <laughs> it took me a week to get just enough for about half an hour. Exactly. And this is where I feel like if there's anyone who is listening, who is interested, this is where any kind of cultural knowledge, like firsthand experience would be awesome to start having on the show to connect these dots and to to share from a perspective that is more um, close to the situation than three white women sitting around talking about how much other white people have fucked everything up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, also, I also, oh, sorry, Alexa. I also want to say really fast that like, drug problems are all over. They transition, they transcend race. They transcend uh, classism. They transcend a lot. And all of us, the three of us have had personal experiences with family members of drug problems. So I, I don't want to speak for Catherine, but I want to say that this is not like a Native American issue. This is a society issue. And just because some of these women have had drug problems, like you said, it doesn't make their life less valuable. 100%. Alexa, back to you. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree. And in fact, I would argue that, I mean, if you even just looking at that new show, uh, what's it called? Dope Sick about, you know, the opioid crisis, like I'm talking about a very specific type of uh, drug addiction, but just taking that, for example, or crack cocaine, right? Like who propagated mm -hmm. that? Like it, it, there's... <laughs> like we don't even need to get started on that but the origins the or you could argue that the origins of drug addiction are literally like from a system that wants to profit off you but that aside um I was just gonna say this is why I think TikTok has come along at the time that it has you know every, we can all make fun of TikTok or we can all joke about TikTok whatever but something that I know that TikTok is because I've seen yeah. it in yeah. action is it is like the best APB service ever 
Like yeah. if you have, I've seen, especially since the Gavin Petito case, I've seen so many people being like, all right, here's the situation. This is what I need everybody to do. And people do it and people are found. People are located. So I'm really grateful at this time that we're getting more tools to be very visible and very connected with each other um, more so than ever before. Um, and hopefully that will also be a help to this movement as well to locate more people and, and bring more visibility to this situation. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and I, I feel like it's, it's really just about seeing the humanity in each other. You know, it's really about like moving past the systematic oppression that's been going on for such a long time and that we have been taught in school is over and it's not over. It's not even close to being over. Go ahead. There, this, um, the last case that I just put out, the last episode, I see case, like I think I'm a detective over yeah, here. Um, you can be, be a detective. Case. <laughs> the last episode I put out was on, um, a, his name was Jelani Day, and he went missing around the same time yeah. Gabby Petito did. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very recent one. I don't usually do super recent ones, but um, a lot of people asked for it, and I'm glad a lot of people asked for it, so I did. Um, his family is not into, like, psychics and mediums at all, so I tried to just be very factual with that one. Yeah. Um, but in researching that, he was from... Illinois as well and excuse me when he went missing he was found in the city of Peru in Illinois and Peru is what's called the sundown town and I had oh. never heard of these yeah. until reading this and when I and I share this because I'm sure there are other people who didn't know either because we live in our blissful little white girl innocence right so yeah. learning that I I called my mother who I think is the only person I talked to more than Ambie. And I said, I am you offended. This? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> you should be damn that woman. Um, I, I called her because she is so like, she's like me. She just knows a lot about like history is her favorite thing. She, right. she's very knowledgeable. She's very well educated. She's very well read. She's very aware of current social issues. She had never heard of it either. And I, I thought, wow. Oh, the this sundown is like, town? Like what a sundown yeah. town was? If I didn't know, then other people couldn't know. There has to be a lot of other people who don't know. And a sundown town is essentially, it's saying like, you sh if you are a person of color, you don't belong in the town after the sun goes down or you can be harassed or killed. And yeah. harassed or killed. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. In 2021. Yeah. You could be harassed or killed because of the this, color of your skin. Uh-huh. And that's a real, that's a real thing. Yes. I actually exactly. had to make sure that when Nike and I hung out, that we weren't in a sundown town. Isn't that insane? So to not know that, not having that knowledge, again, that's white privilege. Yep. We don't have to think. That is white privilege. wrote a book called The Green Book that was mapping out where in the country was safe to travel for people of color that's during the Great Migration. Because we never, so as white up. women, we ne I have never had to worry about that. Never. And if you don't, if you have ever had the idea that, and I am not talking, I, I don't want to, I have very little sympathy for white women's tears because I get, I have been the person that said, well, I'm a woman. I don't feel safe in the space because I'm a woman. This is very, very different than that. I have never thought about not being safe in a space because of the color of my skin. I have never thought about that. And the idea of that is something that people of color live with on a daily basis is something that we as, as white people 
really need to evaluate and really ask ourselves, is this okay? Is this really how we want to continue on our world? And is this what we want to teach our children going forward? Because just because it has been going on for so long, it doesn't mean that it should continue on. And I feel like the more we talk about this in our society and the more that we say like, hey, I see this and it's not okay. That's how things are going to change. That's how laws are going to be different. And I, I truly feel like a couple of things need to happen. We need to have term limits on lawmakers because they have been there for too long. They are just like rotating the same laws that are so outdated that don't fit with our times anymore. We also need to really revamp some of the laws or most of the laws that were written 100 years ago, 80 years ago, 60 years ago, because there are a lot of laws that are still in place, not only racially motivated laws, but ageist laws as well. You can get married as young as 12 years old in our country. Let's think about that. So there are so many laws that are so outdated that we really need to have new legislation and new term limits and things like that set in place because it's just we're living so far in the past that it doesn't even make sense anymore. I also wanted to um, when we were talking about like not knowing about sundown towns as white privilege, I really think it's almost more like colonization, right? It's like art. We're being taught we're being taught one history and we're being taught one reality. That's not the yep. case, um, again, yep. for for the perpetuation of the system. And I wanted to share that Ambie and I just, uh, Nike, who we've mentioned on this podcast before, is hosting this uh, incredible retreat in this, this coming summer, this coming June. Um, it's a ancestral Do healing. Wanna, deco- does she want to share about it yet? She already shared about it. Oh, she did? Okay, keep going. Keep going. Because she, she... I just wanted to make sure that, like, it was she was okay with us sharing about it. Go ahead. You're right. If she shared about it, she's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I'm trying to give her a shout-out because, like, Ambie and I are signed up to go. Um, And this is something that we did because... You should join us. Yeah, Catherine, you should come. And this is something that we chose to do because, well, one, we love Nike, and Nike's just an amazing teacher and healer and guide, and she's just amazing. But two, I think Ambie and I have been recognizing recently when talking about ourselves and our business and all of these topics we're talking about here today, the importance of investing time into decolonization and acknowledging and exploring our own racial biases and our own white privilege. Because Obviously, you guys know, you can tell from what we talk about here, we have good intentions. We know we're good people. It's not about that. It's I think everybody in our community is a great person. You know what I mean? But it's about recognizing that there's things that you don't even see, that we don't even see, even if we have the best of intentions, just because of how we've been raised and socialized and educated in this country. And so I think that Um, you know, if that's something you've been noticing within yourself, um, you know, maybe that would be something of interest to you, or maybe there's another opportunity that's of interest to you, but this is something that Ambie and I just committed to do and we're both really excited about it. So, or if this topic makes you uncomfortable, then maybe it's time for you to dive into why it makes you uncomfortable, because that means that there's something there because it made me uncomfortable for a really long time. Um, until I started putting myself in in spaces of people of color and really listening to what they're saying. And I'm talking not only 
with Nike, but like on Clubhouse going into rooms that were called, are you uncomfortable with your white privilege? Like that's, that's a triggering title. Okay. So let's see what's going on in here. And then you go through the motion of, you know, asking questions to yourself. Then you go through the motion of, am I a bad person? Because I've had these thoughts and I've had these beliefs and I've had these ideas that are racist. And then you realize like, this is how we are brought up in society. We are brought up to very different worlds, very different. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you are interested in this, I definitely stand by Alexa and Nike and say like, this is something to look into. Um, and I feel like Nike is an amazing person in order to speak and really educate white people, which she does not have to do, but like, she's just so empathetic and really understanding, really wanting to change our society and doing that in her way. And I think that that's really so empowering, so brave of her and also so patient of her because I don't know if I would have the patience if I was Nike, to be honest. I really don't. Back to Catherine. And that's the, but that when you were uh, rattling off the questions earlier, like, is this how you want to raise your children? Is this how you want the world to continue? I think the most important question is the one you just covered and that's how do we change it? Yeah. What's the action plan? And is, I think it's really understanding that like, we all have racism in us, right? It's like a poison that we, we've decided that I don't want this in me anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's really pushing against and saying, no, I'm not racist. Okay. Well, you need to come to terms with the idea where these were, these are in our society. And so it's in the air we breathe. It's not okay any longer to sit back and say, it's not in the air. I breathe. I, I don't see color. It's not acceptable to do that anymore because it, absolutely is in the air we breathe and that is blatantly obvious on me on the the news social media things like that the podcasts that we're talking about and so it's not that you are a bad person if you say you know what the beliefs that i have the the thoughts that i have the things like that are viewed as racism and i want to change that that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That means that you're admitting that there is a problem in our society and you're actively trying to change that. And I think that that's where a lot of white people get um, hung up with is, well, I'm not a bad person. Maybe nobody said you were. You're assuming that because you have these ideas, you're a bad person. So. Catherine, okay. you, how are you, um, are you like, and I, I'm asking you this, but I don't mean to like call you out if you're not. I'm just, are you ever doing things with, because we just did, all of us just did something together with Ricardo where we were having this discussion about indigenous um, communities and the importance of them. And we were doing it for um, some, um, uh, what was it? Honor the earth. Because I, I made a donation. We were doing it for a donation to honor the earth. Do you ever like want to team up with, um, organizations like that or nonprofits like that with the work so that you're doing right now um moving through the end of this year i feel like i'm really in a planning phase um all of this kind of came together as you all know when you allow things to come together it just kind of all melts into place so now that it has melted into the place that i wanted into i am looking at respectful ways to reach out to 
people in these missing and murdered indigenous women's groups and these excuse me these coalitions these educational resources like all of this i'm looking into all of this and um i actually just got put in touch with someone who grew up on a navajo reservation so i will be talking to her soon about the reality of things what hasn't been on social media that kind of thing and i'm not actively looking for someone to partner with yet but it is in the very near future and it is something where that is um largely what i would like to ultimately have the patreon associated with it's actually associated with catherine and intuitive but it's um it's also part of murder and mediumship so i have like such two very different things that i'm involved in right like i'm either like in empowering women or i'm it like trying to like raise oppressed voices with true crime so um i am looking for something to be able to fund through that um and now that the money is coming in more regularly, more predictably, that is something I'm looking to do. Um, and with that too, I feel like my my TikTok feed has like morphed into all Native American information, like trying mm-hmm. to learn about all of these different tribes and all of their different cultures and all of yeah. this so that I can understand without making a fool of myself or like saying something ignorantly. Offensive. Yeah. yeah and, and because of ignorance. So um my goal is in the very near future to be able to connect with families to help share stories. And I think it's really at this point, just getting up the courage to send an email um, versus just doing the research all through um, like newspaper and that kind of thing. Um, And I would like to be able to raise funds for even like sexual awareness as well, because Mm. it's such a huge thing for women across the board, but especially in these areas where their educations are underfunded, their resources are limited for law enforcement. Like the BIA, I was talking about the Bureau of Indian Affairs is one of the most chronically underfunded um, pieces of like government. I always like miss the word here, but it's one of the most underfunded pieces of government organizations. And then they're responsible for funding tribal law enforcement. So they had one of the episodes I shared, they had 17 law enforcement officers to cover that 1.5 million acres. Jesus. Like, insane. That's insane. How do you not expect things to go wrong? So yeah. that is the goal to find someone to work with more closely like that. I love it. I think that's awesome. I think everything that you're doing is going in such a beautiful momentum. Thank you so much for being here and just giving us your time. This is a really, really powerful conversation. And Catherine, why don't you tell people where they can find your podcast, where they can find you, um, any services you want to offer? Well, thank you for having me on here because I was definitely going to force my way into a microphone one of these days with you guys again <laughs> anyway. So <laughs> you can't shake me. Um, you can find Murder and Mediumship on iTunes, on Spotify, really all major podcasting platforms. Um, and then you can also find me on Instagram, Catherine Ann Intuitive. There are periods between Catherine and Ann and Ann and Intuitive. And I have a website, CatherineAnnIntuitive.com, all of those places. And if you have an episode, a case that you would like me to look into, I am looking to do more cases per week moving into the new year as soon as I can like catch up with myself. And um, when I do that, a lot of them are going to be listener requests. So if you have a case you would like me to look into, just submit it on my website and it will go on the file of the like infinite number of people who are in there. Um, to be on an episode. And I think that is about it. Otherwise, services I offer 
right now psychic and medium readings and that's about it i'm trying to spend the majority of my time podcasting and then connecting where i can for people as well so thank you so much for having me on here and having this conversation because it starts with awareness you can't fight for anything that you're not aware about yet so thank you for giving me that opportunity in this platform to do so Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank Every, you. We'll put Catherine's information in our show notes. You guys can go click there. And we love you all so much. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And until next time. Keep on blooming. Bye, Bye. everybody. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love, love, love it if you would leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to get in touch for a reading with Ambi, an EFT session with Alexa, or just to say what up, you can email us at innerbloompodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at innerbloompodcast. Podcast.